Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Yes, indeed. Welcoming your phone calls and text messages, your lawn and garden questions at 651-461-9226 on this holiday weekend. Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota is with us, and we have a special guest who's been with us before, but he is still special. And uh, Julie, (laughs) why don't you do the proper introduction and, and, and tell us about John? Well, I think that eventually John will just be a regular. So I think you're right. <laughs> so, but he's a special guy anyway. So, yeah, John Trappy, Dr. John Trappy, he is our turf educator in extension. He's an agronomist, got a wealth of information about lawns and grasses. He also is an environmentalist and conservationist. And so uh, I have heard from him in passing that he propagates chestnut trees in his house and he does all sorts of other things like that so john it's so great to have you here i really appreciate you being on yeah thanks again uh i've been really looking forward to getting back on so i'm I'm very happy to be here excellent i know our listeners are too both julie and john because uh it's uh, i i'm I'm seeing a whole lot of uh, yard I haven't seen for months, <laughs> it seems like. Uh, I'm not saying it looks good, but uh, it, uh, at least it's, it's there. And uh, let me alert our listeners, as long as uh, both John and Julie are on, if you have any kind of a turf, turf question, any, any questions about your yard, uh, by all means, uh, give us a call or send a text. Again, here's the number, 651-461-9226. Uh, you know, we tend to get busy during this hour big time, so don't wait. Call us or text us with, uh, with your uh, lawn and garden question. Now, uh, let me ask uh, John a question, Julie. People, as Julie will know, John, will get uh, usually pretty early in the season. When can I rake my lawn? You can't do it yet, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I would avoid trying to do too much uh, just yet and, and allow things to basically start to warm up the soil to dry out just a little bit uh, so that way when you're walking on it and you are – uh, you know, if you do try to remove any kind of dead or dying debris, you're not pulling up plants that would have come back. So try to have patience. I know everybody's basically got cabin fever and looking to get back out there. But, uh, but yeah, just try to have patience and, and wait it out, and uh, the lawn will, uh, will start to green up soon enough. Okay. I'm looking at another text that just came in, and it says this, if I overseeded my established lawn in the fall, can I use starter fertilizer in the spring? Any negatives to that? Uh, yeah, you can use starter fertilizer, and that's actually a, a, a pretty good strategy. If you've put down 
uh, seed uh, with the Minnesota phosphorus fertilizer law, uh, you can apply uh, fertilizers containing phosphorus uh, if you have seeded. So uh, I think that's a, a good strategy for uh, for doing that. But I, I would always recommend anytime someone is trying to establish anything uh, from uh, seed uh, to uh, to conduct a soil test just to verify what your nutrient soil nutrient test levels are at uh, and if phosphorus would be beneficial. Hey, John, do, do starter fertilizers ever contain pre-emergence? Uh, some, uh, some starters, there's one product that I know of for sure that is, uh, safe on seedlings. Um, and, uh, and that's, uh, uh, Sigeron is the name of it, but, uh, but otherwise there's, um, most other pre-emergent herbicides may have some activity depending on what you're trying to seed. So that's a great point, Julie, as far as, you know, um, you know, products to, considerations to be made. Uh, if you're considering trying to overseed or establish a new area while also trying to prevent things like summer annuals like crabgrass. And would the, would the packaging say on there, you know, do not put on new seed or this contains a pre-emergent or should the, is it easy to see that on the package, do you think? Yeah, like absolutely. Okay. Yeah, so all, all herbicides, uh, well, all pesticides are going to have a pesticide label. Um, right. it's, you're required by law to, uh, to follow that label, but just follow the instructions in there. They'll, they'll tell you how many days after you've put down, say a, a, a pre-emergent that you can seed, for example. Great. All right. Looking at another question from a listener that just came in last fall, it says I planted a bare root yellow lady slipper. The oh. grower's instructions said to cover it with leaves after planting. When should I uncover it is the question. I would let it just come up through the leaves unless you piled you know, a foot of leaves on top of it. But I would let it just kind of come up naturally. You know, you can pry, push those leaves aside and just when it starts to come up, just tuck those leaves around it and protect that roots, um, the roots from any kind of weather changes. But yeah, that's a good luck because that is a, a tricky plant to grow. But I'm, I'm glad you're following the grower's instructions. That's That's important. Very good. Uh, here's one for John. How soon after applying crabgrass preventer can I apply grass seed? <laughs> well, oh, we we just familiar. yeah we actually just touched <laughs> on that. I would I would consult with the label because uh, that's going to depend on uh, which product you applied and uh, and uh, the rate that you applied it at. So uh, so just check the the label of the of the preventer herbicide uh, and it, it should be able to tell you exactly what what to do. Okay. How do I get my canna rhizomes to get them ready to plant is the next okay. question. So uh, take them out of where you've been storing them over the winter and clean them off. Uh, hopefully they don't have any mold. If they do, you can scrape it off or wash it off and maybe treat with a fungicide for that mold just to, so it doesn't grow back. Cut off any damaged areas, blackened areas, um, anything that feels soft. You can use a nice clean knife for that, a nice sharp knife damaged areas, blackened areas, um, anything that feels soft. You can use a nice clean knife for that, a nice sharp knife. And then you can go ahead and pot them up and kind of get them going in your house right now. Put them in a sunny window, water them, and then transplant them. If you're going to put them in your garden, you can transplant them when the temperatures are, are warmer. Or if you're going to put them into a container, you could do that too. All right. Uh, again, here's our phone number. It also happens to be our text number, 651 If you're just joining us, Julie Weisenhorn and John Trappi, Dr. John Trappi from the U of M, 
answering those questions. And I'm thinking, uh, Julie and John, this might be besides your expertise. This might be a good uh, reason to uh, get on the university website. What are some, Texter says, good ground covers for our area here in the Twin Cities? Yeah, so we have the Plant Elements of Design, which is a plant selection database tool. And you can enter in your site conditions and click on ground cover, whether it's a woody ground cover or herbaceous ground cover, whatever you're looking for. And uh, click search and you'll come up with any plants that match those criteria. So that's where you can find non-turf ground covers. John, over to you. So if, um, you know, they're, you know, I mean, grasses are obviously are a great ground cover, um, but grasses are going to require a little bit more um, uh, sunlight than some of the traditional broadleaf ground covers. So I would just... uh, Pay attention to that. You know, just make sure that it's getting at least a, f- a couple of hours of direct sunlight. Um, if you're looking for something that's very low maintenance, uh, the fine fescues are a great option for having limited mowing requirements uh, and other uh, inputs like uh, fertilizer and, and pesticides. So the what fine about, fescues are great. What about something like a bee lawn? Yeah, bee lawns are a, a great option, and obviously they're really growing in popularity. Um, and uh, so a bee lawn is just uh, simply incorporating... Um, pollinator-friendly species uh, for our, for our uh, native and naturalized pollinators. Um, and so, um, and we have all kinds of resources on, on the Extension website, extension.umn.edu, um, for, uh, for finding information on how to grow, how to plant and maintain a bee lawn. All right. Uh, you know, I know we have to take a break here. I want to uh, pass along this text and maybe give uh, you both uh, time to uh, think about it. Good question. <laughs> and then we'll take a break. Uh, again, if you are just joining us and if you happen to have a question about your lawn, you've hit the jackpot because not only do we have Julie Weisenhorn's expertise, but Dr. John Trappi, our, uh, we can, call, can we call him the turf? John, would you mind if we call you the turf guru? <laughs> I I, I I suppose I don't mind. Uh, <laughs> it wouldn't have been my first choice, but yeah. all right. Well, we'll green, I think was one title we used once. We'll do some uh, research and see if we can't get some other answers uh, before, before other titles. But anyway, let me let me pose this question, then we'll take a quick break. Uh, turf question: I cannot find. Texter says an organic lawn care company to serve the Lindstrom area due to long distance from the metro. Question is, if I start to do my own organic lawn care, where can I find easy-to-follow steps as I want to improve my soil each year and crowd out weeds? I have completed soil testing at the U of M and cannot understand what to do next. Lots of clay soil in this Lindstrom area. You guys think about that. We'll take this break and be back uh, on the other side of our Smart Garden show. 38 degrees. We're on our way to 61, about the same for Easter Sunday tomorrow with a chance of showers. But how about this? Wednesday, we could hit near 81 degrees. Right now, 38 degrees here on News Talk 830. This is WCCO. Good Saturday morning to you. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. Thanks for joining us this morning. We have, if you are just joining us, Julie Weisenhorn and, and Dr. John Trappi from the University of Minnesota answering lawn and garden questions. I emphasize lawn because uh, John Trappi is our uh, turf expert uh, this morning. You probably have heard him on the, the station before, and you will hear him again as Julie and John promised. Uh, but we are have a busy morning today. Let's see how many folks we can help out. Let's grab some phone calls. But before we do, uh, we I posed a question from a listener uh, about organic 
uh, lawn care. What, what would you guys have for an answer? So the the first thing is uh, just to address the trying to find an organic, you know, a company that would do organic lawn care. And, and I would suggest starting with the uh, Minnesota Nursery and Landscape Association website and then searching from there. Uh, so that's mnla.biz. And you can just search for organic lawn care in your area. And you might be able to find somebody who was who was unlisted otherwise. But as far as uh, resources for uh, for um, organic lawn care, we don't have uh, anything that's specifically for uh, that's uh, listed as like a truly organic uh, lawn care option. We do have uh, a low input turf website um, that's on turf.umn.edu where we have uh, basically just some low input options. There's also an older document uh, called. Um, fertilizing lawns that was released in, uh, you know, it's, it's a, a little bit older, but it also has some information on some of the, uh, some different organic lawn care options. Another thing that you can do is just reach out to me directly um, and, uh, and then find me and we can, we can chat about some different organic options uh, as well. So um, yeah, I think, I think those are both great uh, starting points, but that's a great suggestion as far as, uh, you know, something that we could improve upon and, and make right. some more resources available. Very good. Uh, now let's get back to some phone calls. Uh, Donna, first up, you're calling in from Bloomington, I believe. Donna, thanks for waiting. What is your question, please? We have large mounds of dirt from the activity of moles. How do we eradicate the moles, and how do we prevent future problems like that? Oh, big question. If there are moles in the lawn, you know, I always suggest just basically grabbing a, a lawn chair and a spade and trying to control them that way because there's there's some other control options like baits and things like that for removing them. Uh, and you can't really control their, you know, what they're feeding on because they're mostly feeding on earthworms. So, um, you know, and, and generally speaking, we want those in our lawns. So um, really it's just manually removing them, unfortunately, uh, and there's not much that you can do for, in the way of discouraging them. Uh, you uh, could it, always call a pest control person who can uh, set sure. well, unless you have maybe some small pets or uh, that's kind of dangerous, I guess. But uh, yeah, th- there's those those what I call guillotines. Those, yeah, those spike, yeah. spike yeah. things. That that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough because they can do a whole lot of damage. I've seen it. Uh, I tell you what. Do, what should she do about the mounds and stuff? Yeah, yeah great. There? Great point. Um, so I would just suggest just stepping them down uh, anytime you see them, uh, and especially before mowing, um, just to make sure that you're not you don't end up scalping or anything. But if you just step them down, typically they retrace their steps, uh, you know, a couple of times a day. So or you know they retrace their their burrows a couple of times a day. So they're kind of easy to track where they're at. Uh, you know, if you're just kind of patient and just watch them, uh, you can get them that way. I know we're not talking, uh, it's not a critter show, but are, are there more, usually more than one at a time? Is there like a family of them, like mice? I, there definitely can be, but a lot of times they, they you know, just a single mole can do quite a bit of damage. Wow. Uh, so uh, yeah. it's really, you know, that's kind of a silver lining. It's, you know, if you remove one, a lot of times you can remove a lot of the damage, but sometimes there's more than one. Yeah. All right, Donna, good luck. Uh, Marlis is next up here calling in uh, from Lakeville this morning. Marlis, what is your question, please? Yes, good morning. I, my question is about African violet. I've had one uh, as a gift for a couple of years, and it did fine. Um, then when it needed a bigger pot, it came in a plastic pot. I put it in what I thought was the ultimate, in a clay pot. Right. And since the leaves 
have started, they, they look pinched. They kind of curve downward. Every time the outer leaf would hit the edge of the pot, it would rot and fall off at that point. Huh. And it just kept coming, doing it and doing it. And I called the extension office, got some good help. But I'm wondering, she said, put it into a plastic pot because uh, violets um, draw the salt into the, uh, or the salt gets drawn into the clay pot. Violets don't like that. And the thing, I had, it was blooming beautifully. It had just finished blooming. It has four more shoots coming up. It's trying to bloom, but it looks like it's dying. It has pinched, you know, brown leaf, a little brown on some of the leaves. And um, I'm just wondering if you've heard of that before. I thought clay pots were the ultimate. Yeah, I don't. I don't know of any anything about the salt. I don't, how are you fertilizing it? Are you using an African violet fertilizer? Yes, I am. Uh huh. And it and started blooming doing... beautifully after that. Okay. And, and uh, are you are you using it at half strength or full strength? strength? Uh, I I. Eat it once a month at what the okay. full strength it, it says okay. for a, for them. So yeah, so I'm just, I don't know I've about repotted tra- it in the into a uh, plastic. Now okay, <laughs> I put it back into a plastic. I'm gonna see what happens, but I just thought I need all the knowledge I can get. It looks like it's gonna pass out on me. Yeah, I don't know if it could just be transplants shock. Also, sometimes uh, they're sensitive about that. But yeah, I think either pot would have been fine. I. I would hold back on the fertilizer because that that's a very small amount of soil and it, it could be too much fertilizer for the for the plant and it could be burning the plant. And then be careful be you know water it from the bottom uh versus from the top because it can get some crown rot on it and sometimes it can also damage those initial leaves that are at the base of the plant. So see how it goes call back in. Love to hear how it's doing in its plastic pot. Um, and we do have a website on African violets on our houseplant section at extension.umn.edu. But I don't think there's anything about salt. Okay. But I'd hold back on the fertilizer. I know we have to take a break for weather because it's going to be uh, quite a change coming up. But <laughs> I wanted to pose this question because it is probably uh, on a lot of folks' mind, including yours truly. Will lawns recover after last year's drought? What do you think, John? Well, the... Again, silver lining with having this all, all this snow is that we are, you know, recharging groundwater table, and um, you know this has been, uh, you know, kind of a great winter for, for that. So, uh, but the lawns, uh, you know, I, I think uh, let's just say I'm bullish or I'm optimistic that they're uh, that they're going to uh, bounce back. So I think uh, this has been a great winter for that. Yeah, for sure. That's good. We wait and see. All right, hang on. We'll uh, take this break. We have about another half hour of the show to go, so don't go away. 651-461-9226. Here on 830-WCCO, stay with us. Good Saturday morning to you. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour, welcoming your lawn and garden questions at 651-461-9226. If you're just joining us, Julie Weishorn and Dr. John Trappi in from the University of Minnesota answering those lawn and garden questions, especially today if you uh, have a turf question for uh, John Trappi, that's uh, great, or any garden question, of course, we we take as we always do. Um, Boy, there's there are just so many uh, callers and 
texters as well. Let's get back to it. Uh, Roger, I think, is uh, next up. We've been waiting in St. Paul to ask you a question. Roger, thank you. What is your question? Good morning. Thank you. Uh, It's for John, and it's not a turf question, but uh, my dad collected American chestnuts um, probably 80 or 90 years ago, and then we've kept them in a a quart jar. Is there any chance they're viable? Uh, There are if they were kept dry um, with low humidity and, and, um, you know, there's a there's a pretty good chance of that. Uh, I I mean, you basically have nothing, uh, you know, there's really no no harm in trying. Um, But there is a you know, there is a, a, you know, kind of a a reinvigorated effort uh, for releasing a uh, basically a new genetically modified American chestnut that's re- resistant to the blight. So that could be grafted onto those legacy uh, American chestnuts that you have from your dad. So that's something to consider and could be kind of a neat compromise for still being able to, to grow a tree that's functionally extinct. A neat idea. Functionally extinct. I have never heard that. <laughs> that's kind of scary sounding. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. Um, Thank you, Roger, for that. Gene is on the horn calling in from Egan, I believe, this morning. Uh, Thank you for waiting. Gene, what's your question? Hi there. Um, My husband recently discovered a couple of chemicals he uses on the lawn. One I know people have used for a long, long time. The other one I think is relatively new, at least to the um, garden centers. Malorganite. Can you overdo malorganite? Because with my husband, more is better for everything. And the other one is this type of um, lawn aerating chemical. And then you put this down and it um, kind of eats away. It's essentially doing the job of when you come around with those aerating machines. Instead, it does it internally in the ground and kind of attacks some of the, anyhow, it opens up air pockets down there. I can't remember what it's called, but. Those two things, I'm wondering if you can overdo either one of them. Well, uh, I I certainly think you can overdo. I mean, you can overdo uh, water, uh, for example. So, but but I would, um, you know, as far as uh, the let's let's address the malorganite first. I would just make sure that you're that you have a soil test that's showing that you need to apply phosphorus because there is phosphorus in the malorganite fertilizer, um, and I would just just first and foremost ensure that you know, that you're applying appropriately uh, according to the Minnesota phosphorus fertilizer law. Uh, but the other thing is, is that, uh, you know, there is nitrogen and iron, and sometimes uh, you can get, you can create flushes of growth if you're over-fertilizing. I would just fertilize based on um, your plant needs and, um, you know, as far as uh, just notice on how the plant itself is growing. Um, and, you know, you can, you can certainly over-fertilize, and I would uh, we do have a, you know, on our website, we do have a fertilizer uh, schedule as far as uh, recommendations on how much to fertilize in terms of nitrogen, and that's where I would start with that product. The liquid uh, lawn dethatcher, uh, typically, uh, you know, I'll just be frank and say that those products typically do not work. So um, for the most part, I would, you know, I think you might be able to overdo it. I'm not sure how much is being put down, but uh, but if you're if that's your goal is trying to remove the thatch, uh, realistically, the best way of doing that is through an actual airification process or mechanical airification. John, I was wondering if Jean was going to be alluding to uh, gypsum on her aeration question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, gypsum is a uh, calcium product, and and it's uh, really it's just a way of providing soluble calcium for your plants. 
Um, if if the question is whether or not if you can overapply it, I think you certainly can. Uh, again, your soil test would tell you what your calcium levels are and whether or not your soil would benefit from gypsum. So I, I think that sounds like a really great starting point for really just seeing if indeed you actually need to apply it. Uh, and there would even be recommendations on the soil test report for telling you how much to apply. Let's talk about that a little bit. We we had a comment earlier from a listener, a texter, about uh, getting a soil test. Uh, the U of M does it. What, what is the process to get that done? So, at, um, so the uh, University of Minnesota does have a soil testing lab, uh, and it, it, as far as on their website um, – is uh, soiltest.cfans.umn.edu. I know that's a lot, but if you just uh, web search for soil test uh, uh, UMN, you will find it. Uh, but there's some recommendations on there on how to collect a soil sample for your lawn or garden, uh, and then uh, again how to uh, interpret and understand the soil test report, the results from your soil test report. So there's I, that's where I would start. But uh, any time is a great time. Any time when the ground is actually thawed is a great time to collect a soil sample. Uh, and I think that's a great. Uh, it's a great starting point if you don't know what your soil test values are or if you have a new uh, new home or garden area or anything like that. Uh, it's a relatively cheap. I think it's around $19 for a, for a basic soil test. Uh, that would All give right. you most of what you need. Uh, this listener says this via text. We had a fungus kill a large section of our lawn in the late summer last year. What do you suggest we do to address it this year? Uh, well, uh, I think it would just depend on just making sure that you understand that it was a fungus, and I would just make sure that you can verify that. And there is a plant diagnostic laboratory. It's right across the hall from the soil testing laboratory at the University of Minnesota uh, where they would be able to verify that it was a disease. If indeed it was a disease that happened in the late summer, I would suspect it was probably uh, something, and it caused death, it's probably pythium. Uh, or it's something related to overwatering, which uh, for the last two summers probably would have been a little bit of a challenge. But, um, you know, if it's a low-lying area or anything like that, say in like a ditch, uh, it could certainly collect and hold water. So I think I would just uh, pay attention to where it's at um, and collect some samples to verify that it is a disease and not just a site condition, uh, you know, something, you know, weather-related or uh, for that particular site. Uh, because you really have to correctly identify the problem before you can try to address it. Yeah, and you can go to the Plant Disease Clinic website. It's PDC, like Plant Disease Clinic, PDC at umn.edu. They have good instructions for collecting samples, and this is true of any issues you might have, whether it's a tree or your lawn or your garden or a plant in your garden. And uh, if you have questions, you can certainly call them and ask them, you know, just to make sure that you're collecting the right kind of sample for them. Very good. Here's a text that says, I gave up on the rabbits eating my plants last year. Nothing I tried stopped them for long. I have a couple of plants that have come up. Any suggestions to stop their nibbling? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so rabbit damage is one of the worst. This year has been one of the worst because we've had such high volumes of snow, and those rabbits can sit up on top of the snow. I was pruning uh, my aronia, my uh, chokeberry shrub yesterday, and there were there was feeding at chest level for me, and I'm five foot eight. So, uh, so those rabbits they actually were climbing on top of snowdrifts, and then I realized they were climbing, I think, on top of our air conditioning unit and chewing <laughs> chewing off that tree. So it's been a bad year for rabbit damage. The important thing is to 
probably wait at this point and see how the plant recovers. Uh, if it's been girdled, in other words, if they've chewed off the bark around the base stems, that might, you know, you might lose that branch of that shrub. Uh, protection from them going forward would be fencing with hardware cloth. I know that that is not attractive, but if you want to save them, that's one way. And we also, uh, we tried blood meal, which is basically dried blood from a slaughterhouse. And it is, uh, you can purchase it. It's an organic uh, fertilizer. It has high nitrogen in it. But it's also somewhat repellent. And so we sprinkled that around the base of some trial plants. These were annual plants in a very naturalized area that we were doing an experiment with. And it managed to keep away the rabbits as well as deer, too. So that is one option. Uh, It's a bit anecdotal on my part, so I'm just sharing it with you as far as the experiences that we had. But it is something that, um, that seemed to really repel them. But nothing is a better defense than a good fence. Oh, that's really true. I learned that For any last year. Uh, this texter, I know we have to take a quick break here, but uh, this texter says, I put seed on before the snow last fall. Now the snow is gone and it looks awful. Should I put more seed on it now? Uh, you know, functionally, the, the the situation hasn't changed. So, you know, the, the seed probably is just down below most of the, the um, you know, the thatch or residue on the surface uh, and is hopefully down at the soil surface. So I would just have some patience. Um, you know, the situation hasn't changed. Have patience to see what comes up and, and maybe you can overseed a little bit later on this spring. Uh, but patience is key. All right. Very good. Uh, A quick break is in order. We're going to be right back with Julie and John here on our Smart Garden Show, 651-461-9226. Keep in mind, Andy Linders will be joining us next hour for our home improvement show. Any kind of a home improvement question, keep those in mind, and uh, we'll accept those, of course, by phone and text next hour. Here on News Talk 830, this is WCCO. Good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. This morning, if you're just joining us, Julie Weisenhorn and Dr. John Trappy from the U of M answering your lawn and garden questions. And uh, Julie and John, we have we have about $6 million to go, so I, uh, we could probably <laughs> do another three or four hours easily. Since we can't, let's, uh, let's do kind of what we call a, a lightning round. Um, Let's see, we did that. Boy, there's so many lawn questions, too. Uh, Here's another one. Uh, Which is better, redoing the front lawn is their uh, uh, project. Slit seeding or hydro seed after killing what is there now? Does one grow faster than the other? How often and how long as far as time? That comes from Chris in Montgomery. Uh, I think that's kind of a mixed bag. Um, I, I would prefer to slit seed if you can uh, over the hydro seeding, but I think both can work uh, just fine. Okay. This is a question I, I know John Julie will know we get quite often. This uh, texter has a new dog, and they said yes. our lawn was already showing damage last fall from her running and playing. Any ideas for new or different grass or ground cover? Well, grasses are going to be the most traffic tolerant for kids or pets. So, uh, so I would I would stick with a with, stick with the grass if you want to have a living playing surface there. Um, and if you can, uh, 
the Kentucky bluegrass and turf type tall fescue are the two most traffic tolerant species. Um, and I would, I would uh, still give those a try, especially some newer improved uh, varieties or cultivars because they're much more traffic tolerant than some of the older ones. You can also train the dog to utilize certain areas for its business. So okay. that takes some diligence, but it pays off in the end. Great Trimming question. Is it too late to trim a couple of small branches from my pin oak tree? Um, probably not small branches. I wouldn't do any major pruning due to uh, the potential for oak wilt. We're into the high-risk time now, April through mid-July. Another tree question I see. Uh, when cutting down an ash tree that's diseased with emerald ash borer, are the beetles still alive and living in the tree, and for how long? If I uh, burn, is that the best way to kill them? I don't. You're not supposed to burn those, are you? Well, you're not supposed to move the move the wood around. What I would do is um, contact a certified arborist and they'll be able to advise on that. What about your city? Some forester? Uh, yeah, or city, city forester. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can okay. also contact the Minnesota Department of Agriculture with those questions too. We do have a web page on uh, Emerald Ashbor as well that links to that. Got another critic question. This one, not moles, but voles. Uh, we have massive vole tunnels, destruction under the snow and the lawn. Any suggestions how to get rid of those? I would just lightly rake away uh, any of their burrows. Um, you know, once things start greening up and start growing a little bit more, just rake away uh, any of their kind of collection of, of materials and just allow the lawn to recover. Typically, there's not lawn death associated with the vole damage. It just it looks nasty right now, but it'll bounce back. Good. Uh, this texture is looking to plant alfalfa in their border garden. When's a good time to plant? Thank you. Love the show. Well, thank you for that. Oh, I am not a cover crops expert. Um, I would take a look at our website on cover crops, and that gives you uh, timing for planting and also incorporating it into your soil so that it actually helps the soil. And that's on extension.umn.edu, and just uh, you can Google cover crops. Okay. This uh, listener says, we live in Blaine, have sandy soil beneath the black soil hauled in more than 35 years ago. Mm. Could the soil shifted over the years due to tree roots? We have developed quite the dip in the yard over time. Should this simply be filled in with another haul of soil? Yeah, that's a uh, that's a great question. I, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so I would, I, I would consider it, um, you know, from a, uh, you know, just from... Uh, that standpoint, I'm not sure how much it would have shifted. Julie, do you have any recommendations there? Well, it sounds like uh, they've got kind of, I wonder if they've got kind of a layering effect or if that topsoil has moved. That's kind of what I'm taking away from this question. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess filling in the dip, but I, I incorporate it into the surrounding soil too, not just pile a bunch of new topsoil in this hole. So filling it in and tilling it into the existing soil, you'll have to reseed then which you would do anyway. Here's another question, a uh, lawn question. Is corn gluten meal a good organic lawn fertilizer? Uh, well, uh, it yes, it can be. It's a, it is an organic option, and it does provide a little bit of weed control, uh, although the, the data on that is a little bit of a mixed bag in terms of how well it works. Uh, but corn gluten meal is a is an option that is uh, provides some nitrogen without supplying the phosphorus. So, um, so it is a, it, you know, it can be a, a, a good organic option for, for a lawn care fertilizer. 
As Julie knows, we've joked uh, forever about Creeping Charlie, not joking maybe <laughs> about it, but uh, when we do get uh, questions about it. But here's one. It says, for bee lawns and uh, pollinator-friendly yards, wouldn't Creeping Charlie be a good flower to allow in the landscape? Mm-hmm. Um, no. <laughs> no. Um, and, it, and it's based on research that um, our colleague James Wolfen, who is, uh, was a graduate student in our department, and he looked at the nectar and pollen, and John, you can maybe speak to this too, um, and it's very inconsistent in Creeping Charlie. It's very minute, it's not very good quality, and it's really random in the flowers. So while the bees are moving amongst all these Creeping Charlie flowers, which there are many, um, they're really not getting much from a reward standpoint. So it's really not a good bee plant. Yeah, and it just does such a great job of competing against everything else. You know, if your if your goal is to promote pollinator plants, you know, I would not want Creeping Charlie just because it'll outcompete e- even those as well. So, uh, just you know, I would I would consider trying to remove it even from that standpoint. Uh, Julie and John, just about two minutes to go on the show. Here's another question: Can you apply crabgrass pre-emergent on an area that was seeded last fall? Um, well, I think that. Uh, I would avoid doing that just from, you know, I'm not sure exactly, you, you know, there's really only one product that can work and it's going to have marginal activity on crabgrass. Uh, that, there's one product that is labeled for cool season seedlings uh, that would be safe on those. But, uh, but for the most part, I would uh, just uh, focus on getting your overseeded areas up and growing uh, and then work on controlling the summer annuals through cult- best management cultural practices. Uh, and then if, if indeed you need to, maybe next year, uh, focus on those. And you could also ago. spot treat those, like spot the, the crabgrass too, right? Great suggestion, yeah, with a post-emergent control option uh, after your seedlings have come up and, and after you've identified the, the summer annuals. I know we've got less than a minute to go. You know, we haven't mentioned yet. We should mention, again, the university website, extension.umn.edu. Check it out. You're going to love it. But get to the Arboretum, right? Right, right. Lots of things going on at the Arboretum, arb.umn.edu. It is warming up fast out there, so things are getting busy. And the process is you have to go online to uh, to you know to to right. reserve a spot, but it makes that I, I said it again. I'll say it again. It makes driving parking really easy. Yeah, and and uh, coming up, uh, tickets are now on sale for the plant sale, which is the weekend of May thirteenth and fourteenth. So you can get on there. The slots are filling up. There's time slots for that too. And when are the abiders playing next? Uh, we are playing at Lupine Brewing uh, Chili Fest uh, on April twenty third. So we'll be out there. It's in Delano. And the proceeds from that uh, event go to help uh, a local charity. Excellent. All right, Dr. John Trappy, great to hear from you. I hope we can uh, call on you again. Uh, Julie, it's a pleasure as usual. (laughs) Uh, Again, thanks to you both. Let's uh, let's plan on doing this real soon. What do you say? Sounds good, Denny. Have a happy Easter, everybody. Yes. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, Julie and John here on A3OWCC. Again, get those uh, home improvement questions ready. Andy Lindis from Lindis Construction will be answering those questions. We're at 38 degrees now. We're going to see 61 degrees, but maybe 81 by midweek. Stay with us here on CCO.